Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson, joined, of course, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And today's Literature Wednesday, and uh, this is what is this chapter five we're going through now? We yeah. I can't believe this yeah. is chapter five already. This book is flying by. It's insane. Um, But this is chapter five in the book we started beginning of February, I believe, called Angels in the Architecture by Douglas Wilson and Douglas Jones. Massive amount of stuff to cover, as always. Although this episode may be a little bit shorter because um, this was full of all sorts of different details around some pretty, like, heavy theological topics. Uh, This is a very theologically heavy chapter. So we want to cover some of the highlights um, and tie it into kind of the overall theme of the book um, and really keep it a little more higher level than the chapter is because if we went into all that depth, it it takes a lot of work to get through all that. (laughs) Not not Um, to deter you from uh, from reading this chapter though, because I think this is also a very good chapter being that it is, and what I was about, yeah, and what I was about to say was that you can use this chap, use our video here as kind of a diving in point to figure out, okay, what are the high level things, and then on the pages that we talk about, delve in a little bit deeper if some of these pique your interest, um, because there's certainly so so much more on all of the quotes. Um, we tried to pull out some of the main quotes. This talks mo- mostly about justification. The the theology of justification, which on its own is like, oh, yeah, okay, I got that. Yeah. Um, and we do. But this chapter really goes into depth and detail around the history of that doctrine. Um, the divide and the battle. Yeah. 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 The, the battles that occurred around this doctrine. Um, and then also how it ties into uh, Israel and what they went through as a nation and how that helped us to develop theology that then the um, um, not modern evangelicals, but the uh, medieval evangelicals, medieval Protestants took and uh, revived and used to fix the problems with um, the Roman Catholic church at the time. So anyways, there's, there's a lot of stuff to talk about here, but it is a little bit of a heavier topic. So we're going to try and keep it light, try and keep it interesting, but just know we might get into the weeds just a little bit today. So bear with us. Uh, it's worth it. Trust me. And if there's any point of confusion, check out the book. Um, canimpress.com is where you can go to get your copy of Angels in the Architecture. Wouldn't it be so cool if we were like sponsored by them? And then mm. we could be like, hey, here's our sponsor link for, <laughs> but we're not. We just really appreciate this book and the website. And we just want to send people to it anyways, even if we're not getting money from it. So <laughs> um we have a show website uh now i I just said that after the money thing so it sounds like i'm sending you to the website so we can make money but i'm not we don't make money we don't make money website at all yeah we're not actually making any money from this show so (laughs) (laughs) at this point it's all coming out of our pockets uh but we enjoy doing this and we hope that you do as well and enjoy consuming it so there we go uh but we have a show website if you want to support us in other ways that aren't monetary, you can go to our show website, trdshow.net, and follow us on places like Facebook, Instagram, Getter, Gab. Uh, by the way, today's episode, uh, all the episodes this week aren't available on YouTube because I can't post things to YouTube. We have too many strikes. 
And Yay. until the end of March, yeah, until the end of March, we're not allowed to post content to YouTube. So, bad yeah, honor. I know. Thumbs up. Bad. Yeah, it is a badge of honor. So I tagged, I put a post out Monday morning tagging um, as the, the page on, on Gab. I tagged uh, Brandon Raby and I'm like, hey, we might be joining the uh, exclusive Gab TV and Rumble Club just like you are soon. <laughs> so <laughs> if you haven't checked out yeah. uh, Brandon Raby, he's a um, Christian video gamer, kingdom oriented video gamer. Great stuff on, on uh, Gab TV. Yeah, we had him on the show. Awesome talk, I would say. Yeah, it was great talk. It was great talk. Um, so yeah, and he does exclusively he, his content is on Gab TV, which is really cool. So I'm like, oh, we might be leaning that way if YouTube keeps doing what it's doing. Um, so oh, and it will, it will, it will, and it will. What was it at the conference? Uh, someone came up to us and was asking, "What is our elevator pitch?" And we kind of gave our elevator pitch in a Yeah, thing. three episodes a and, week, current events, yeah, yeah. theology, yeah. Or a Christian Worldviews podcast, yeah, all that. Yeah. And afterwards, we had, after the elevator pitch, we were talking with the person, and we had mentioned we had been, <laughs> we just got another strike on YouTube, and he's like, you should have started with that. That should be a part of the elevator pitch. Lead with that next year. time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that gives us all the credibility in the world, because yep. we are. That's all we need. We were kicked off of YouTube. <laughs> yep. What else could you want? Yep. Because so much, like, I mean, just talking with people on the street. Well, mm. not on the street. Sorry. Talking with other people about the show and, and stuff. Whenever I say uh, we, that we got kicked off of YouTube or we're having problems with YouTube, they then they know where we stand, whether that be good yep. or bad in their eyes. But then they know where we stand because they yep. know where YouTube yep. stands. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, um, check out the show website. Very soon, we're going to have our content on the website, so you won't even have to worry about YouTube any other place. You can just go to trdshow.net eventually and watch our episodes, which will be so cool. Um, you can also send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com, which we'd love to hear from you. That would be really neat. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about Chapter 5 in a minute, but before we do that, we always have a verse of the week that we talk about all through this whole week. And so Wednesday means that Jake gets to do his little ranty thing with this verse for a couple minutes. Um, and which is always very insightful. So been listening to the show uh, ever since we started doing this, where I talk on Wednesdays, um, you will notice that I do not rant. Well, <laughs> I might rant sometimes. But it's wishful thinking I... on my part. I'm like, Jacob gets to do his his ranty thing, right, Jake? Right? right You're gonna right? rant? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't rant. Well, again, I say I don't rant, but there are probably several instances in which people could bring up in which I have ranted. And uh, it'll be today, but... of course. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but our verse this week is Ecclesiastes 8, verse 15, and it says, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of of his life that God has given him under the sun. And this, obviously, this passage is clearly talking about that we need to be gloomy Christians going through life, uh, trudging through the darknesses of life with a head hanged low. Um, we're just biding our time until we reach heaven. Yep. Now, this this verse is a very joyful verse saying that we are to be joyful in all that we do and and we are need, we, and we need to be 
We need to eat and drink and be joyful. Uh, so, and I think with that is eating and drinking joyfully. And that, what does that mean? That means a celebration. What was it? Oh, this is a sneak peek for chapter six. Because while I was listening, I, I like to listen to the chapter as well before I read it and go through and highlight the, um, ver the, the, sorry, the quotes that I want to pull out. Um, I was listening to chapter five and before I realized it, I was almost at the end of chapter six at, because <laughs> I just kept listening to it and I had already gotten through chapter six. So a sneak peek for chapter six is this is all what chapter six is talking about. The being joyful the in, in what you do, you do joyfully. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a really good chapter uh, because our life is to be full of celebrations because we have the victory, right? At the end of a huge, massive battle, when, when, uh, when you're in the mopping up ex exercises, you're joyfully doing that because you won. It's over. It's all finished. And we are to be the same, joyful in all that we do, even under persecution. I, I think that's, that's the best thing, and it's the best way to kind of show the enemy, give the enemy a little bit of discouragement, is that we won't ever be discouraged. Hmm. As Christians, if, if they attack us with something, and I, I'm thinking specifically of what happened in Moscow, Idaho, with the MSNBC interview, and then yeah. basically attacking... Uh, Doug Wilson. It was. It wasn't exactly like that. Uh, Doug Wilson, I know, had said stuff about that and how it was really good. He liked yeah. it, but it still was very or aggressive. What they did to Gabe Wrench with the arrest. Yeah. And oh yeah, that. for sure, for sure. Um, but in that, I I know we were asking at the um the last Fight Lefties conference, asking them what was kind of the 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 outlook of all those people. Uh, sorry, not the outlook of the of the unbelievers, but of those churches in that area, were they happy or or was mm -hmm. this kind of like a bringing down? And yeah. it kind of was said that this was a very that that time was very lighthearted and fun, and they they all were joyful. And to me, what I think of in that moment is that what those people who were attacking, what they think of when they see everybody being joyful and happy, they are, you know, they're kind of confused. It's like, what just happened? We just attacked them. Why right. are they happy? Why are they joyful? Why are they celebrating? What, what's going on here? And it yeah. kind of makes them like, uh, yeah. What? what was that battle of, um, the feast of booths in uh, Joshua's the, the battle where, uh, literally in front of the enemy, what they did was they set up, a feast right in front of the front lines of their enemy. And they just feasted there before the, yeah. the big battle. Yeah. I was like, Hey, we know who's on our side. And we're so confident in that fact that we can have a feast right before you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of making up for the lack of confidence and the lack of feasting they had when they sent the spies in and said, look, it's full of milk and honey. It's just what God said, but there's people in here and we don't think we can defeat them. And so they were punished for that. And then later on, they had to make up for it. And they were like, all right, we're going to have a feast because this is yeah. how much we trust the God that we worship, that we're going to laugh and be joyful in front of our enemies and literally have a feast in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, the, whole, uh, it's the whole idea of the fight, laugh, feast. 
that you're yep. fighting, you're laughing, and you're feasting. Yep. And yep. again, I think as I said on on Monday or or something, I had said this before, but you have your the with both laughing and feasting, you have these sort of kind of joyfulness in that, mm. and it's like, but fighting is not is not different from these two things. Yeah, we're both it's laughing and feasting in these things. And we're supposed to be happy with our fighting as well. And I'm not saying that we should be happy as we're attacking people. Yeah, That's not what I'm saying. Is that we should be happy while we are fighting the good fight, in a sense. While we are trying to bring people in, right? Trying to convince people, evangelizing, but also not being somber while we are debating people. We are right. not to be, you know, uh, downtrodden people yeah. in a sense. Yeah. So, and we're going to talk a lot about that when we talk about the um, Puritans and um, how medieval Protestants, uh, actually the, the early Puritans, um, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, about how the Puritans' lifestyle was too glad to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, so great breakdown of that uh, verse, which actually that a rant? we we pulled. That was a great rant. That was, that was good. You did it. Woo! Um, that verse we actually pulled. I'm sorry, everybody. From... I don't mean to rant. <laughs> but you did, and it was great. I like ranting. Um, do they sure like they do. our rants? I'm sure they do. Mm. No, Let us know in the like comments. A good rant. Do you like our yeah. rants, or do you want us to rant less? Right. And if you do, don't say anything. No. <laughs> um, so uh, this whole chapter, we actually pulled that verse, um, this verse, Ecclesiastes uh, 8.15 from this chapter. But I want to talk a little bit, just to spend a bit of time talking about what this whole chapter was about um, and why. Why is it about this? A large part of this chapter from what I could ascertain, seem to be focused in on one of the huge theological battles uh, being fought during the medieval period. Uh, and this battle was how to reconcile justice, peace, mercy, and righteousness. How to reconcile all those four attributes which seem to be antithetic, antithetical to each other. So justice, peace, mercy, and righteousness. There's, a, there's actually a poem that was written during the medieval period uh, and this poem contains four characters, justice, peace, mercy, and righteousness. And um, it's actually, he included a chunk of the poem in this chapter. So I encourage you to go back and, and read it. We're not, not going to be reading it here, but um, it sheds some light into the mind of what these people were thinking about in terms of these four characters and how they're reconciled in the character of God um, through justification which is kind of what this whole battle was about. <clears throat> Page 59 to 56, the book said, Rome kept to the Greek side of that divide, embracing its Aristotelian scheme of uh, created substantive graces and incomplete righteousness, while the road to the Reformation embraced the biblical Hebraic notions of covenants, imputation, represent, uh, representation, and perfect righteousness, end quote. So that divide between those two worlds is really where this chapter lived. Um, 
the Aristotelian schema of created substantive graces and complete righteousness. It's kind of the whole Roman Catholic idea. And a lot of that came from a very Greek Aristotle and uh, Aristotle type way of thinking. Aristotelian. And yeah, Aristotelian. We already used that word. So I was like, oh, what's another form of that? Oh, what's another word? It's yeah. boring if I use the same. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this dude Aristotle came up with this idea that he done and he created and yeah, that's, <laughs> um, and the whole Reformation was a return back to the Hebraic understanding of these sorts of things. What's interesting though is that um, this chapter spent a little bit of time talking about Israel's theological answer to this paradox, right? This paradox of how can God be um, uh, all loving. And yet be all uh, just. How can he be just and love at the same time? How can he um, be perfectly righteous and require perfect righteousness while at the same time uh, giving us grace and giving us love and giving us mercy? How do all of these things fit together? They seem paradoxical to us that all of this would work together, right? Um, page 60 the book started to kind of introduce this and it said, I am sure that if there were no night, no one would know for certain the meaning of day. That's part of that poem. Uh, reads uh, Langland's medieval poem above. Consider how many bleak twilights and black nights shrouded God's people before the advent of his son, our kinsman redeemer. It's hard to imagine a darker time in the history of faith than the old covenant exile from Jerusalem. End quote. And then I'll just continue this because it's the same thought continued on page 61, which said so much had been thrown away, so much squandered loneliness and terror and hopelessness consumed everything. Even in the midst of Israel's steaming cauldron, the Lord promised reconciliation. He told the faithful of a wonderful future of mercy for them. Yet at the same time, he promised that every sin would be punished to the fullest extent of his holiness. What joy, what horror. The haunting medieval hymn chants this despair to us every year. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear, end quote. And so that, that's kind of the dichotomy. That right there is what's being held in the balance between those those two sorts of things where the, the faithful... Uh, God told the faithful of a wonderful future of mercy for them, but he also promised that every sin would be punished to the fullest extent of his holiness. It's, there's two conflicting things there that it's like, whoa, uh, what? <laughs> how does that work out? Um, and the book goes on to talk about how Israel during this time had to come to terms with the enormous amount of blessings promised and actually given to them right? They were given a lot of blessings, but all of that was under the shadow of the promised judgments and cursings if they turn their backs on God and begin to worship other false gods. This time of theological development gave us a rich history of covenant theology, which is where we get this whole covenant theology idea from, which the medieval Protestants drew from to repair Rome's distortion of the doctrine of justification. So it's a lot of words. Again, hopefully some of that sparked your interest. And maybe this is just shedding some light on past theological wars that were fought that we tend to gloss over. You know, we, we have such rich creeds today, books, series, I mean, theologians today that 
the early church fathers didn't have access to. People over the last 2,000 years, two millennia, have studied the Word of God, written countless amounts of books on this. Yeah. Um, we've only begun to scratch the surface, but also we do have a substantial amount of theology readily available to us. And so we can tend to gloss over all the battles that it took to get us to this point. So what was really cool about this chapter was that it was reframing the medieval period in our minds theologically so that we would have a better understanding of the theological battles that were being fought during this period of time. Um, I'll wrap up with a, a final quote before I move on to the next section of quotes that I have. But on page 65, the book said, the Roman novelty of Aristotelian graces was not the only medieval story gaining prominence. At the same time, other Christian medievalists were more consistently casting off both Plato and Aristotle, while reviving the Hebraic concepts of covenants, end quote. So what's fascinating to me is that this whole chapter kind of centered around this idea of um, people battling incorrect doctrines and ideas of justification, incorrect theology on that front, by replacing it with a proper understanding of covenant theology from a Hebraic perspective. A lot of times we can kind of gloss over the idea of covenant theology and not understand all the repercussions that it has, not understand every every area of theology that it touches. It's fundamentally important that we get that right, because if we don't, it messes up all sorts of different things as, as we, we saw in this chapter. Um, so I have one final section before I move on to that. Um, my final section is talking about a biblical understanding of justification results in people who live lives too glad to be true, which is a quote from the book. Um, before I move on to that, Jake, is there anything you'd like to add in terms of like returning back to a Hebraic understanding of covenants or that battle that was fought in terms of the doctrine of justification and all the different areas that that impacted? So it's more of instead of uh, me talking, then a question for you is the the battles when you claim battles do you mean physical battles no. battles or do you um, mean the battles like the council of nicaea or the council of trent in yeah. those in which debates and everybody kind of getting not mad but like trying to you know stake um point out their their things and you know debating with other people talking with other people um, yeah. Do you mean those types of things or are you talking of physical battles as well? No, not not physical battles so much, but what I meant more so the the language that was so okay. Let me there's a couple ways I could answer that. But every generation has battles that we fight. Um present day battles might include Things like post-millennialism versus pre-millennialism yeah. or infant baptism versus pedo-baptism. Or even on a, on a larger level, we might say uh, a Christian worldview of dominion over this earth for Christ versus a secular one of uh, dominion over this world for Satan, right? So every generation has to fight these battles. We talked about the divide in the previous chapter last week, the great divide. Was that last week or the week before? Remember that was the week before. Week before. Um, yeah. And so this hones in on one specific aspect of that divide. Um, one of the 
biggest battles being fought during this period of time was Roman Catholicism versus Protestantism, right? So the whole Reformation, that was a huge part of the, of the medieval period, which is fascinating because it led to so much rich and robust theology because all of these people who used to believe one way are now waking up and realizing that they've been lied to for generations and they're re-examining the scriptures because now they have it available to them. They can read through it. They can study these things. They can converse with each other. It wasn't just theology for the high man anymore. It was theology for every class. People could actually write books about these things and understand these things and discuss them on deeper levels. And so all of the this sort of a, a um, battle, if you will, in quotes, came up in much the same way that a battle today would come up between someone who is um, a Christian nationalist or someone who is not a Christian nationalist in the way that Andrew Turba and we've defined it, right? So we believe, hey, we should be working for a Christian culture, Christian nation, society. Other Christians, um, unfortunately, believe otherwise. And they're like, no, 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 we shouldn't work for that at all. And so we'll battle. In, in a way, we'll say, no, here's what the Bible says, and here's what we believe about it, and here's what we would argue that we should do. And they'll come up with the other side, and they'll say, no, 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 here's what the Bible says, and here's what we believe about it, and here's what we believe we should do. Nothing. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it's it's that kind of a, a, a pitched battle where you, you have those back and forths. And yeah. it can lead to new denominations forming. It can lead to splits. It can lead to divides. It can lead to things that it, it can get messy, to be sure. Like Christ said, I've not come to uh, unify, but to divide, right? He, he did come to kind of split people up in that way. People are going to have those yeah. sorts of things. Like we were talking about last week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. And obviously, there should be a, a level where we say, okay, hold on, we can't just completely split and divide. There has to be a common ground where we can work from. Um, but then also, there's a point at which we have to split, which is actually what we're going to be talking about, uh, talking about with our special guest on Friday. Woo uh, Greg Moore from the Dead Man Walking podcast is going to be joining us. And that's going to be super cool. Um, that was for the audience, not you. I know you already know that. <laughs> uh, same, same with this as well. I just yeah. want you to know. I, that's what I, I figured you were meaning. I was just trying to clear stuff up for the yeah, audience as sure. well, so they yep. know what you're talking yeah, that about. Was, that was a great question. That was a great question. <laughs> I was thinking I might have to say something like that soon. So that was that was a good way of framing it. Sweet. Um. All right. Well, I'll wrap this up. We have four minutes left. So. That just flew by. Um, I have and a few. Bruce, Bruce was talking to me pre-show. He didn't think that we were going to make it. Actually, he was, like... he was joking. He yeah, was jokingly yeah. saying that we wouldn't wouldn't be able right. to make it when we both know we always go over time, yeah. no matter how many notes that we have. That's true. That is true. We we have a problem <laughs> talking sometimes. It's not that we can't. It's that we do it too much. <laughs> too much. Too much. Um. Anywho. Um, I'll spend just three minutes now, now three minutes, talking about a biblical understanding. This is kind of a fact here um, that I derive from this chapter, is that a biblical understanding of justification results in people who live lives that are too glad to be true. And that's a phrase that C.S. Lewis used to describe the Puritans' uh, lifestyle, which I thought was really cool. Um, page 62, the book said, the recollection of righteousness and mercy, I'm sorry, reconciliation, <laughs> It's a very different word. Reconciliation of 
righteousness and mercy is the main theme which drove forward the medieval heart of the Protestant Reformation. Of the early Puritans, C.S. Lewis remarked, whatever they were, they were not sour, gloomy, or severe. Protestantism was not too grim, but too glad to be true. And that's the end of C.S. Lewis's quote. The book goes on and says, too glad to be true. What a wonderful summary of the fruit of the Protestant doctrine of justification. End quote. Um, page 62 to 63, uh, another quote says, how things have changed, unfortunately. In our day, evangelicals almost yearn to be described as sour, gloomy, and severe. As we grovel in our self-centered pietism and political campaigns for external morality, what a different world we would live in if Christians were characterized not as those calling for federal prohibitions on this and that, but for the right to celebrate. What if we were known by our enemies, not for our shallow sentimentalism and indifference to beauty, but as the community most exuberantly living life to the fullest? full of eating, drinking, and merriment. And that's our verse, Ecclesiastes 8.15. Perhaps then we could be slandered like our Lord for being gluttonous, uh, I'm sorry, gluttons, wine-bibbers, and friends of sinners, Matthew 11.19, end quote. I thought that was a really, really good quote, really good summary of this whole I, idea of gladness. I find it an interesting dichotomy to say, let us, let us be like Christ and be mocked for being yeah. for drinking too much wine we're not actually we're not looking to be gluttons or any of these things but yeah what a what a great thing for us to be yeah. mocked in this way right um right so put yeah, ourselves every lie out there. has a kernel of truth yeah 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 so the lies that are in this in this way for people to be able to slander us like that instead yeah. they slander us by saying now we're gloomy people and that we're yeah that were severe and that were, you know, not that were closed in hermits in a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. That we don't, that we're very strict people. Yep. I know that's, that's what a lot we're of. We're all Amish. Right. Oh, we're, right. aren't, oh, you're homeschooled. Are, are you, uh, you live on an Amish farm? Like... On a farm. Yes. And <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is I know, I know Bruce knows this. And the reason he brings that up is because yeah. I, in the places that I work at, in the culinary field, that is a question that I get a lot where I say I'm a homeschooled Christian and they think I live on a farm, <laughs> even though I say, no, I live right in town. I live right. in the middle of the town. Yeah. I do not live on a farm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but everybody thinks so because that's, right. that's the, yeah. Oh, the you idea just, that you want to be isolated, right? You don't want to be involved in, right. in the community and you don't actually want to be involved in the mm -hmm. society you want to isolate yourself on a 20 acre piece of property way outside of town so that no one's near you right like yeah. no we don't want that at all like <laughs> yeah yeah it's not what we're working for here yeah exactly um final quote just to wrap up with page 65 the book said notice how seriously the protestants take the drama between justice and mercy they do not diminish god's holiness or resort to legal atrocities or fictions covenantal representation is very real though it doesn't fit into an aristotelian framework the greek view of reality has always uh, was always narrower than scriptures, and so the Protestant view does justice to the soul-wrenching dramatic tension announced in the Old Covenant, end quote. And so that's kind of a <clears throat> good way to kind of wrap this whole discussion up, um, kind of summarize sort of what this whole chapter is about. But again, we 
covered a ton of ground in a very short amount of time and we didn't cover much of that ground with our feet touching the ground (laughs) (laughs) just kind of zoomed over it uh so there is a ton uh more content in this chapter that i highly encourage you to check out um get this book for yourself angels in the architecture by douglas wilson and douglas jones and check that out for yourself all right and with that jake any last words before we sign out for the day nope nope all right not Thank you all so, so much for watching or listening. Please like, subscribe, do the things that let us know you watched and listened. We appreciate that so much. Five-star review would just be wonderful if you wouldn't mind doing that for us. Really helps us grow. Like us on Instagram, Facebook, Gab, and Getter. That would be brilliant. Uh, We're at the Reform Dissenters on most of those platforms. I think almost all of those platforms. That's our handle there. And we're looking forward to seeing you on Friday when we have a special guest. Greg Moore from the uh, Dead Men Walking podcast is going to be joining us. And we're going to have a great discussion about can we work side by side with Reformed Baptists? What does that look like? Join us on Friday for that discussion. Thank you so, so much. And we'll see you then. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. <laughs>